This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Chester Donnelly, a spine surgeon with Texas Spine Consultants based in Dallas. Dr. Donnelly, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thanks, Laura. Appreciate it. I was telling you earlier, I've been listening to these podcasts for the last couple of years and it feels like I've kind of made it to the next step, finally being invited to be on one of them. So hope I don't let your audience down and hope to bring something unique to it than some generic sayings. Absolutely. Well, we love to hear it. I know you'll definitely add a ton of value to our listeners in um, this particular episode, and we're just thrilled to have you on the podcast. So before we dive into our discussion, can you first tell me a little bit about yourself and your career? Yeah, so I'm young in my career. I've only been out of training for about two years. My training in short was I did my uh, spine fellowship at Rothman Institute with Dr. Hillebrand, Vicaro, and Kepler, and Dr. Schroeder. After or before that, I was at University of Miami where I got orthopedic training. And before that, I did med school and undergrad in Texas. And I grew up in Dallas, which is the same city I'm practicing in now. The group I'm with is a four surgeon spine group, um, private group, independent group. And we're in Dallas, Texas, and then specifically kind of in the Plano, Frisco area. So in the, in the North Dallas area. Got it. That, that's fantastic. And I know Rothman is an outstanding organization to train with. Um, so it's great to hear you had that foundation and then diving into your practice. What really, you know, has been some of the two or three most interesting things that have been happening in spine surgery? What trends are you watching? Some of the things we were working on just from a basic science research perspective at Rothman was maybe preventative medicine. So that would be a little stem cells, a little amnio trying to see ways that, you know, we're all trying to figure out ways to be more minimally invasive, but what if we took a step back and found a way to even maybe prevent patients from having to need surgery in the first place. So seeing how we're, you know, I always jokingly say that joint surgery and sometimes sports surgery kind of leads the way with new scientific breakthroughs, you know, all their surgeries are relatively similar. So you're able to get big data and big studies looking at the joint studies better, but seeing what they've been able to do with both amnio and with um, stem cell technology, has been pretty interesting. It's hard to somewhat translate that into spine surgery just because, you know, there's a million ways to do a discectomy. You can come from the other side, you can use a tube, you can do it open. So there's a lot of variability, a lot of patient variability, but those are some of the things I'm interested in looking at. The other thing I'm interested in being younger in the career and the private group is you always hear about you know, the hospital takeover or the big insurance takeover of medicine. So that's something that somewhat worries me. I only know what I know so far. And right now I think it's all pretty good, but then you hear about the guys who are just five, 10, 20 years older than me telling me how much it's changed even in their career. So trying to make sure that any change is kind of in favor of physicians, which is usually not always the case. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. And for you as an early career physician, looking ahead, wanting to be independent and being in this space, is there anything that you're doing right now to really fortify yourself to say, hey, this is going to be something that I can build towards over the next two to three decades? One of the things that I've been doing a lot and kind of the thing that was my fake claim to fame is I created a social media account when I was in residency and <clears throat> would just post board style questions and case presentations really not thinking much about it, not really having a full formal plan of where that would go with anything. And that kind of blossomed once I got to, you know, my chief here, having more interesting cases, got to Rothman, having some of the more unique spine traumas and all of America, if not the world, and being able to share those and have the dialogue on those. And then now kind of in my own private setting, I'm able to share even somewhat more freely now having more uh, patient consent, patient permission, and really seeking that out. So that's been something that's helped me grow my career is just sharing clinical cases, both on LinkedIn and Instagram, 
And then one of my buddies was jokingly telling me that he gets a ton more patient referrals from TikTok. I would tell him very openly that TikTok is for a bunch of middle school kids and he wouldn't catch me dead on that social media platform. But sure enough, I ended up doing it anyway. And um, it's something that's kind of exploded for me in terms of I never thought I would get a new patient from social media in general. That was never, ever my goal, but probably every clinic I'm seeing two to five patients who said, by the way, I found you on TikTok and it's a uh, surprising. They're not all, mostly they're not all in their teens, twenties or thirties. They're extremely frequently in their sixties, seventies and eighties. And, you know, I think about my dad who has very significant trouble even navigating Facebook. So some of these patients that are using social media that are finding their doctors, the feedback I've gotten a lot is they're just very appreciative. It's not, you know, a doctor dancing to music. It's a bunch of educational content. It's me editing videos to show them what spinal stenosis is and kind of breaking it down to a very basic level that someone in middle school or high school could understand in terms of how we communicate with patients and then showing them videos and going over what is a good indication for a disc replacement. Because I feel like frequently you're seeing images out there on other social media platforms, such as LinkedIn, where there's a patient who had four or five cervical disc replacements. I'm not here to kind of defend that or go over that, but I think it's helpful if the patient knows the questions to ask their physician prior to surgery. And Dr. Donna, let me just jump in for one second, because that's something that's fascinating about your father and something that goes into the supply and demand of physicians today. Laura, I'll jump right back out in a second, but, but talk about this issue. Patients, the community is actually so thrilled to hear from you today when there's such a shortage of physicians throughout the country. So you might've viewed it as branding and growing a practice and marketing, but actually you're in a world today where all of a sudden patients are thrilled to hear from physicians, aren't they, about particularly in the educational level and the non-hardcore advertising level. I mean, you probably get great responsiveness, don't you? You're 100% right. You know, I say if you were some of my senior partners in the group, they're in their 70s and 50s, you know, they're they're already crushing it. They don't need to be worrying about social media stuff. That's not, they're busy enough already. They don't even have the time to do it, um, even if they knew how to do it well. But for me, you know, when I was first starting, I wasn't super busy yet, as I assume and hope most people coming out aren't. And so it was just something I kind of added to my practice. And you're right, Scott, it's kind of how it blossomed. Patients reach out and say, thank you so much for sharing this. Uh, I do a lot of telemedicines from all over. Patients drive from very far over. That It's super flattering that I'm so young in my career that patients legitimately are driving eight hours. They get a hotel room the night before to see me in my office. And they said, oh, I, you know, I saw your video and it's so educational. I looked at all your other videos and it's something that I've also found, you know, once I sign a patient up for surgery, they, you know, the algorithm knows and they say, they, oh, I, they subsequently found me on Instagram or social media or TikTok and it subsequently validates me. So instead of them being like, man, I just met this doctor from a referral and I don't really know him. They're able to see my whole personal life in a way, you know, what I choose to share, of course, and, and, and they get to Dr. know me. Don, like two more Two more quick questions. I'll turn it back to our editor-in-chief, our lead interviewer today, Laura Verda. But, but two of the questions. One is, is there a trick or a key to making it not feel like a doctor or lawyer ad? So it really feels like this is informative. Um, you know, it, is, there, is there a key to that? Or how, how important is that that doesn't feel like, you know, an, an advertisement that feels like truly information? Uh, and then any, then any tips for success for people that you give people that are looking at sort of building a social media presence as a physician, as a great surgeon and any thoughts there tips. And then, you know, is there yes. a trick to making sure not a trick, 
but but making sure it doesn't feel like one of these commercials where pain management physicians, you know, you know, pain is pain, pain are us, like toys are us type <laughs> thing. I mean, you're a spine surgeon. Is there, is there a key to this to making it feel not too commercial and also any tips for others? When I first started, I was not at all marketing to patients. I thought if you're going to find your doctor on the internet, it's, you probably don't need surgery or jokingly, it's probably not a good doctor. So my initial thing, I was just marketing in a way, I guess, whenever we do anything on social media, whether we know it or not, we're marketing to the world, right? Even if it's you're posting a picture about your food you're eating, you're marketing to someone. So when I was doing it initially, I was just sharing it with other hospital administrators, other surgeons, med students. So that was kind of my goal to build up the credibility. The credibility really is your currency in this. And, you know, the trust is the bank. And when I'm doing this, I wasn't really trying to recruit patients or tell them how I'm using the newest technology or anything like that. I was just sharing like, hey, here's a cool new cervical disc arthroplasty I'm using. Here's why I like robotic technology. I was just really just going out there trying to target other doctors and target other healthcare professionals. And I think that led to the credibility. And I've noticed very frequently in the videos, you know, I can see the analytics. If I do a video saying, um, I'm happy to do a telemedicine with you at any point, it does not get shared. It does not get liked by patients. So they see through it. So when I just do videos that are purely educational, I can see in the analytics that those are the ones that are shared more. And in the comments, so my tip here is in the comments, that's where you collect new patients. They say, where are you located? Even though I have it, you know, in 10 places on my profile, you know, patients don't want to understandably, you know, they're on social media. They don't want to do extra work. So they'll ask you, where are you located? Do you do telemedicine? And I think that's the place where you can gain. Um, if you're trying to directly market to patients, I would focus on the comment section because that's where they really interact and frequently have these exactly. patients. Exactly. One more question. One more question along those lines. Mm -hmm. you, and I promise Laura, I will turn the mic back to her. She's going to shoot me soon. But one more question. Where can people find your social media accounts on social media? Where can they find this? They want to follow you. They want to see this. And then Laura, I am back to you. And I'm going on mute. Uh, well, kind of going with it, the other tip, I would have the same. I recommend if anyone's starting this to have the same name across all media platforms. So mine is the same across all of them. It's my last name, Donnelly, and then Spine Consult. So it's Donnelly Spine Consult. And it's the same for whether it's YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, or TikTok. Thank you, Dr. Donnelly, so much for going through that. I think it's just fascinating to hear about the success that you've had and almost stumbled into on social media and now going viral on TikTok and really making a difference for patients um, across the country and attracting more to your practice as well. It's just fascinating to hear about. And I think, you know, along those lines and what you were talking about as well at the beginning of our conversation and thinking about preventative care and some of the research and development going on, what else are you excited about this year? What do you really look ahead to and say, this is something that's going to make a difference going forward. I think we're getting a lot more long-term data about disc arthroplasty. I think the initial data people are focusing too much on differences in range of motion, but you know, one level ACDF versus a one level disc arthroplasty, the range of motion is not a clinically noticeable difference. I think the adjacent segment disease, which everyone agrees, that's the big difference. Now we're getting more long-term data to show differences in those. And I think that's exciting, but there's also about eight different disc arthroplasty devices out there. So it's hard to compare all of them to each other because you shouldn't compare them all to each other. It's one thing to compare a pedicle screw to a pedicle screw. Those are not too much difference between pedicle screws, but comparing a T-lift cage to, that expands medially and laterally to a static peak banana cage is just not the same thing, even though they're both T-lift cages. So I think getting more research into motion sparing devices is an important thing that I'm looking forward to this year. 
Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense. And just one more question along those lines as well. I mean, you think about spinal fusions, obviously still are, you know, kind of the predominant procedure that surgeons turn to, but um, do you see motion preservation becoming more prominent? How, you know, do you see that growing, especially as a new generation of surgeons is coming into the workforce and um, really seeing and understanding and wanting to make a difference in the motion preservation space? I do. That's what patients seek out. They'll go out of their way. They'll fly across the country to find a doctor that does motion preservation. Um, and I think that's just also the trend in medicine. I think back 20, 30 years ago, patients would pick hospitals based on hospital reputation. Now patients, for the most part, don't care about the hospital. They care about the doctor. You know, there's the exceptions of some of the big powerhouse health industry leaders in the world, like Mayo, Northwestern. Patients associate those with high prestigious care. But apart from the, you know, the big five, 10 big prestigious names, patients are picking doctors, not institutions. So they're willing to fly to places where doctors offer these unique procedures or what they perceive as unique, at least. Absolutely. That's so interesting to hear. Well, Dr. Donnelly, thank you so much for joining us today. Is there anything else on your mind before we uh, wrap up here? No, I'm just uh, excited. I'm happy to anyone that frequently people reach out to me that doctors kind of start the thing. The tips I always say is one, the biggest thing at the end of the day is stay HIPAA compliant. And that's getting uh, signatures from patients if you want to share their images. And don't, um, I always jokingly say, don't just share your interop images because there's no actual follow-up there. You could have had pretty post-op images, but if you're not sharing three-month, six-month follow-up images, who knows how that patient actually did. So it's in a way not appropriate advertising of your work. Got it. Thank you so much, Dr. Donnelly. This has been really fascinating to hear and we look forward to connecting with you again soon. Yeah, thanks, Laura.